This could cause the next massive market crash. China could invade Taiwan, and this is what it means for your portfolio. This episode of The Beam Pod is sponsored by KyberSwap. KyberSwap is a DEX and DEX aggregator, which is built to facilitate all your DeFi needs in one single platform. Fast, cheap, and safe. User experience is KyberSwap's sole focus to make everyone's life better in DeFi. Welcome to The Bean Pod. This is Shane, aka The Jolly Green Investor. And this is Josh, The Nifty Investor. We've discovered something that might cause the next humongous market crash. There's a lot of talk right now that China could invade Taiwan and it's going to have some massive implications for the stock market, the crypto market, and ultimately your portfolio. Yeah, for sure. So this could be the next black swan. And if you look at how the market reacted to the Russia-Ukraine crisis, and as we're going to go through in this episode, if you look at how, you know, how much impact the China-Taiwan situation could have in the world... There's some things you could potentially do to position your portfolio to act defensively if slash when the day comes. So if you haven't seen that episode yet, it's uh, entitled Wartime Stocks. We released that about a month prior to the war actually occurring. So we were pretty bang on with a lot of our calls in that one. You know, we went to the commodities. We noticed that Russia and Ukraine were massive exporters of natural gas. We made some plays into like Comstock Resources, Southwest Energy, and a few others. And they did really, really well. So if you haven't checked that episode out yet, check that one out. Hit the like and subscribe button. Helps us a lot. And then we're going to dive into this one a little bit further and kind of see if we can find some similarities between the recent war that just occurred. Yeah, for sure. So on the surface, you can look at the Russia-Ukraine conflict and how it impacts the global economy is basically, you know, trade is being restricted, right? So as you said, all the commodities, you know, natural resources, energy and stuff, US trades $36 billion per year with Russia. Trade with Ukraine is $4 billion a year. So a total of about $40 billion in direct trade jeopardized by that conflict. Right away, when you look at those same numbers with China, as you would expect, they absolutely blow them out of, of course, the water. Yeah, fine. $656 billion per year in trade with China, including, which is imports of, you know, all the consumer staples, food, manufacturing, clothes, electronics, you name it, right? So right away, we know that if this conflict does play out, the implications will be much more severe. Yeah, and with this one too, the interesting thing is is that they have such a larger population, right? China's got this huge population. It's like over a billion people and they do really cheap labor. With what's going on in terms of inflation, uh, jobless claims, you know, companies laying off where is a massive consumer like the u.s going to get their parts so where are they going to get you know whatever components they need to build their laptops etc exactly and that's that's i think one um aspect of this potential conflict that a lot of people are overlooking is where taiwan plays into the global economy and as you just mentioned components right so the u.s trade with taiwan currently is 115 billion that's still three times more than russia And people are just like, you know, obviously, if something happens with China, there's going to be a lot of fallout from that. But you have to also look at what Taiwan is producing and manufacturing and how those industries can potentially be affected. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to uncover here. Yeah. So with the Ukrainian-Russia war, we've now seen a massive energy crisis. They were massive exporters of um, natural gas, oil, et cetera. So that's now affecting Europe and affecting other parts of the globe. 
with such a huge uh, supply and demand issue with energy. When you look to Taiwan and China, you're looking at more like actual goods, um, you know, like semiconductors, microchips, stuff of that nature, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, companies like AMD, NVIDIA, I think it's Taiwan a microchip company or Taiwan supercomputer company or something like that. Yeah. They produce like 90% of the world's um, chips. Taiwan Semiconductor S- Company supplies yeah. nearly 90% of the world's chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if something happens with them, I mean, that industry alone is the lion's share of Taiwan's exporting economy. So if, you know, all things considered, a violent invasion of, of, of Taiwan from China is, seems unlikely just because of the massive global fallout. But they could do other things to kind of put the clamps down on them. They could do a blockade around Taiwan, which limits imports and exports, which would effectively impact these sectors in a similar way to if there was a full-on conflict, right? Yeah. So these semiconductor companies, I think, you know, as unfortunate as it is for the world, these American semiconductor companies could see a massive boost if the entire world is forced to rely on them. If this Taiwan, you know, if they get a blockade and, and they can, no one can get semiconductors from there. Exactly. So the way I tried to play this uh, in terms of this episode is the exact same way we kind of looked at from the previous episode, the wartime stocks is looking at what do they export the most? And if they do go to war, the rest of the world is not going to be able to obtain these parts or whatever it is they export. So if that's the case, it's going to drive a ton of demand to some of these other countries and companies. So exports from Taiwan rose 14% from previous years. Um, They primarily export, you're looking at semiconductors, computers. They actually have 47 corporations that rank in Forbes Global 2000. So they have... Uh, so a lot of really big companies, Advanced Semiconductor, uh, Acer, which does computers, mm. Taiwan Semiconductor, Delta Electronics. So it's all like electronics yeah. components that you need for. But you hear like semiconductor, it's like, oh, what the, what the hell do you need these for? I don't use them. Yeah. But it's like, well, they're in your phone. They're in the bad. They're cars, cars like your TVs, Everything. your laptops, anything that's electronic. Mm. You kind of need these semiconductors for the for it to work. Yeah. So right away, you'd want to look at the semiconductor companies. And I'm doing that because just recently, Biden passed the CHIPS bill, which was a $53 billion in increased domestic semiconductor production. That's right. How convenient. Yeah, they know. <laughs> Some, you know I mean, with the risk of that happening, you'd have to think that other countries are making plan Bs. Yeah. So I think that's the first sector you'd want to look at 100%. What are the other main um, main exports that you found? Well, I'm going to I'm going to keep going a little bit more into into this sector mm-hmm. for multiple reasons, uh, and I kind of stayed with this one in addition to a couple others that we can dive into a little bit later, but I just want to stay on this one cuz sure. I find it's, it's the main one, it's right? It's the main one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so just because of this Biden's bill, it's actually quite interesting. He's trying to do it to bring down inflation as well. So if chips are a major component in cars and they're unable to get chips, they're not able to make the cars, so the price is going to go up. But if you can do it in-house, it should inevitably bring the prices back down. Um, yeah, but there, w- there would be a large, you know... It's going to take some time. Yeah, decade, a decade to get up to that if it's 90%, right? Exactly. So this is, where, these are the, this is why I wanted to look at these few stocks here. So you have one like Micron. Yep. Um, MU? Uh, yeah, MU, yeah. yeah. So they just announced a $40 billion investment in memory chip manufacturing. Uh, they're going to create 40,000 new jobs doing this. 
Um, the investment alone will bring the U.S. market share of memory chip production from less than 2% up to 10% over the next decade. So that's a pretty freaking substantial increase. Uh, another one you want to look at maybe is Qualcomm and their partner, partnership with Global Foundries. It's a $4.2 billion manufactured chips and expansion Global Foundries upstate New York facility. Um, and the Qualcomm is like one of the largest in the world. Yep. What I really liked about them is that they're priced to earn it. Like when you're comparing other semiconductor microchip manufacturers you kind of need to compare the price to earnings ratio otherwise it's not a fair comparison nvidia is sitting at 45 and qualcomm sitting at 11 yeah for sure it's a big difference yeah so it's a lot cheaper from a comparison standpoint to another major player in the space definitely nvidia is like the um kind of the sexy name of the micro of the uh, microchip semiconductor space you know because they make the high-end ones that are used in like gaming gaming and you know High performance cars and you know great laptops, all that kind of stuff. AMD is more of like a mass market, and then you know ones like Micron and Qualcomm are they kind of fall by the wayside, but that's potentially where the value is, right? Yeah, and they're they're planning to increase U.S. production by fifty percent over the next five years. Right. So that's a huge increase in production. They're expanding their facilities. You have the microchip bill from uh, Biden's new the new bill that he had, he's introducing. So it's a lot of headwind. Uh, sorry, tailwind. If you block off Taiwan and China, manufacturing moves to the U.S. And this maybe the U.S. becomes the new hub for it. Yeah, hundred percent. I like that. Um, so I tried to find like a little like some smaller uh, companies in the space too, yeah. because obviously Qualcomm, might, like yeah, we know Nvidia, but there's some other interesting ones like Alpha and Omega. It has only a two hundred million dollar market cap, price to earning ratio of two. Right. So okay. it's super tiny. Yep. And then the last one I want to highlight is STM Microelectronics. It's 11 price to earnings ratio, but the revenue grew 30% year over year. And their net income doubled. Um, so are they new? Is that why they're growing so fast? Or is they, No, they've been around for actually a really long time. Right. since like the 1970s or something. Okay. Um, but what I, I'm not sure if you're aware of, but there was also this blockade that was just put in where I guess NVIDIA can't sell their chips to China. Have you seen that? No. So that just was announced right today but so i wanted to look where does this company export primarily to and they primarily ship to europe the middle east and africa so they're not really affected by right the shipping to china interesting yeah there's some good some good semiconductor plays in there for sure i think um if there is any sort of rise in i mean we saw the thing with pelosi going over there and you know that was kind of just a bit of like parading they're doing their military drills but if there is any sort of escalation i think you'll you're going to see that that um that sector is probably the first one to rip. So definitely put those names on your watch list. So that interesting you mentioned Nancy Pelosi. Actually, the sec that was the first was it uh, U.S. policy bank or whatever to go over there in like twenty five years or something. Yep. Somebody else just went over there from Arizona. Okay, uh, so they're going over there again. The governor, right? And Arizona is like the leading area of um, semiconductor manufacturing in the U.S. Who is the company? You said Taiwan. Taiwan Semiconductor Company. Med- yeah. Yeah. They're building a $12 billion facility in Arizona now. Right. So I think that's a really good play, the Taiwan uh, Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Yeah. it's. I mean, the writing is on the wall, and they're making all these moves for a reason. They can see the potential risk of some sort of um, disruption of the supply chain for semiconductors and all that kind of parts. So that's those are some names that you definitely want to put in your watch list if you think that this uh, conflict is a possibility. Absolutely. Um, one of the other sectors that we looked at in the last episode when we did wartime stocks— and this one isn't really a, um, 
a regional, like a geographic specific sector, but it's one that's proven to always outperform the rest of the stock market in times of conflict. And that's defense stocks, you know, equipment providers, the companies that are making the tanks, the bombers, the missiles, you know, war is war. Unfortunately is a great business and companies make billions, if not trillions off of war because they have to manufacture all these parts that companies need or they don't may, may not even end up using them. They just need to stockpile these things in defense, right? And they get these long-term government, con- like 10-year contracts with X amount of, like you have to spend X amount of dollars. Yeah, so there was this stat that I found um, and it was, I think, I'm not sure if it was from the Afghanistan war, or the Iraq war, one of those recent, fairly recent modern conflicts. There's a basket of equipment providers, these war stocks. If you, if you would have put $2,000 into a bunch of these companies, so say about 10 grand, five companies, you would have had a balance of $100,000 by the end when the U.S. troops left Afghanistan. If you had put that same amount of money into the stock market, you would have had $60,000. So the defense stocks outperformed the rest of the market by 40%, mm. which is significant when you're talking about stock market returns, right? Yeah. And you look at these charts and they're just, seems like they're just always on the rise. <laughs> always, well, there's always conflict going on, right? Hell. But even though there always is conflict going on, something like a China-Taiwan conflict would be probably the worst and most devastating one for the global markets that we've seen in our generation, for sure. I think so, yeah. I mean, Um, when you're looking at the microchips, semiconductors are used in absolutely everything. Yeah. Our communications would start to go down. It's pretty brutal. So, you know, just to list off some of the equipment providers, the the companies that build war stuff. Um, So I'd look at General Dynamics, ticker GD. They're probably uh, the world's largest manufacturer of tanks um you have lockheed lockheed martin lmt they do global security aerospace stealth fighters all that kind of stuff uh northrop grumman noc they make bombers planes and jets you have raytheon rtx who make cruise missiles and even maybe boeing right yeah, yeah boeing ticker ba they build helicopters and jets for the u.s army as well so all of these stocks could see potential massive tailwinds if there is more rumblings about a conflict. So you look at those names that I just mentioned and the run up to the Russia Ukraine conflict and they all ran before the conflict starts, right? right. People know the insiders always know. Yeah. So keep those names in the back of your pocket. If you start to hear some rumors. So we have the true war stocks, the defense stocks with like the Lockheed Martins, the L3 Harris's, et cetera. And we have, you know, what China and Taiwan export, which is primarily the, um, Semiconductors. Yep. I was thinking, I'm like, okay, this one's kind of like out there a little bit. Let me just find it in my notes here. I'm thinking Netflix. Because <laughs> <laughs> people are Netflix and chills? It sounds really strange, but hear me out. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> so, okay. Think about you know the natural gas issue, the oil exports, all this stuff that occurred in uh, Russia and Ukraine. You have the semiconductors, massive components. You have China who, you look at any component in your house, you know, your glassware, your plates, everything's made over there, cheap labor, right? You have all these supply chain issues. You have nobody going to work, all these things, right? But everybody can afford a little $12 a month or $10 a month subscription to watch some TV, all right? Netflix took a massive beating. They took this huge beating uh, because it was the post-pandemic, people were kind of starting to go outside and all this stuff, right? But people getting laid off jobs again, you know, because of the recession and whatnot. They're going to be going back onto the TVs. It's a cheap, uh, cheap thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we have the winter approaching, right? They don't rely on supply chain. 
so Netflix, it's like you're you're just making films and, and putting them on the screen. You're not yep. really relying on a lot of you know shipments and all this other stuff, right? What I what I've noticed is that they're now charging sixty five dollars per thousand views on Netflix for additional revenue sources, right? And they've they've also eliminated eliminated uh, people sharing passwords. Yeah, they're cracking down. They're cracking down. My Netflix is gone. But honestly, Netflix is... But they've also just hired two Snap executives who are a social media company to really drive advertising. So to start bringing in more users. Right. Or viewers. I think it's the perfect storm for a company that just is 60% down from their all-time high to be a really good play yeah, right now. it's an interesting one. I think... It's, it's probably the second most left field prediction you've yeah. made on the show. Number one, remember when we were doing the um, conspiracy episode about who started Bitcoin? And you, you're like, it's, the, it's the, electric. the electric company. It's the electric company. They invented Bitcoin to raise electricity prices. That was my favorite one for sure. But yeah, look, uh, keep, keep Netflix. That's, that's an interesting play for sure. It's uh, just because they're not relying on parts. I mean, yeah, what are people going to... Chilling. Yeah, for sure. Right? 10 bucks a month, easy. Um, Netflix is actually trash these days, but that's a, that's a story for another day. You get a VPN, you can watch anything. Yeah. I like, I like the other services better. I don't know how they can compete. There's Disney plus there's Google, Amazon, but Disney's got all these other Netflix is like, it's a brand name. It's just so hard to kick out of your head. Yeah. I try to, I try to watch some series on some other, um, networks and it's just not that great. Mm. And what I think Netflix is going to do is what they're going to have to do to compete like with Amazon and whatnot is just start bringing in a little bit more to the viewers. Yeah. They, they're definitely lacking something. Yeah. Anyway, to go back on topic, um, <laughs> <laughs> one thing one thing we should mention when we're talking about wartime stocks and how it affects the markets is mm. how the market reacts to war. And we touched on this last time, and it, it played out exactly as the Russian-Ukraine war um, kind of unfolded. During the pre-war phase, stock prices kind of declined due to uncertainty. And then once the war starts, it bottoms, right? Because as we always talk about in the show, the market hates uncertainty, whether it's the Fed raising rates and you don't know if they're going to pivot or wh- where's the CPI numbers. The market just hates ins- uncertainty. So when, when the potential conflict is looming, say between China and Taiwan, the markets are going to be selling off, selling off. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But then say the uncertainty is lifted because China puts a blockade in or they actually invade Taiwan, God forbid. That's when potentially, if you look at the past of the markets, that could be the bottom. It nukes like on that day. It goes yeah. massive. It'll it'll you know it'll sell off into it, and it'll massively sell off. And you know people there's a in a kind of a an unfortunate saying which is by the invasion. Mm. The invasion is typically marks the bottom of the stock markets. So um, I think there's a couple of stats here I can pull up. You know going back all the way to World War II, um, mi- minus thirty four percent at the start. Six months after that, it was already up twenty five percent. The Iraq War. Minus 15% right away. And then six months after the low, up 27%. So you buy the invasion as fucked up as it sounds. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, it's something to keep in mind because, again, the uncertainty is lifted. And then, you know, you just have to look at what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. That was being shoved down your throat with every news piece for th- two, three months when it happened. And now you don't hear a thing about it. No. It's still going on. It's still yeah. as bad as ever, but I don't know. Yeah. The news doesn't care anymore. So now the market doesn't care anymore because there's no more fear in the exactly. market because yeah. ah, that's, that's a lot yesterday's news, right? Yeah. So as, as messed up as it is, maybe buy the invasion as a strategy to keep in the back of your pocket. Mm. I w- now the question is, when do they invade? That's a tricky one. I, you know, when I, when I think about if I was in China's situation, which is not a cool thing to think about, but <laughs> 
the world, I think, the, as we talked about in other episodes, I think the world is going to be in a really tough place in 2023. I think economies are going to be hit the hardest. Corporate earnings are way low. The markets are going to be crashing. Energy crisis, supply chain shortage. I think it's all going to really come to a capitulation in 2023. And that could be the time when China would say, look, the world is down right now. They can't do anything about this. They're, they have to figure out the issues domestically within their own borders. That would be the time where they would strike. Kind of feels like the the world is at its you know bottom right now in a way you yeah. know with the interest rates increasing inflation super high people getting laid off from their jobs like right now it seems like a really tough time and they could really just get inflation even higher if they just decide to block all the like they're kind of getting to that little war where mm. you just saw the u.s you know stop um the, the chips being sent over there yeah then they'll just be like all right well we're not sending you anything right you know and then if that's the case now all of a sudden you have this you have no, no inventory, mm. and now you have this huge. De- you saw the demand, but you have no supply. What's that going to do to inflation? So you're thinking sooner rather than later, perhaps. I'm thinking sooner than later, right? Well, keep an eye on those semiconductor companies, then, right? I'm going to and Netflix. There's also, um, you know, the old adage is gold and and metals is a risk off play. So if you think that, I mean, gold has not been performing well lately at all. No. But in times of serious crisis. People do flee to these old school assets. You know, you sell your growth stocks, you sell your tech stocks, and you buy gold. Mm. That was the old adage. So, you know, you could have a look at a company like Barrick Gold Corp, tickers Gold, or Newmont Corp, ticker NEM, or even a Gold Shares ETF, GLD, yeah. um, as a potential risk-off play for a very severe conflict where risk-off assets will be sold off in the billions and people will put the, park their money in gold, which is seen to be a safe. Yeah. Or Bitcoin, maybe. You know, no. <laughs> Bitcoin's a new gold, right? What, what <laughs> yeah. happened to that? It's an inflation hedge. Yeah. As well, inflation soars, Bitcoin tanks. Who the fuck made these fucking narratives? You know what? Maybe in 100 years it'll be. Yeah. But right now, it sure as hell is not. I'm also looking at um, like commodities. I think food and energy. You know, you got the staples, stuff that people are going to need every single day. You know, uh, what have I, we, we had an episode on that one as well. You know, I bought a little Bungie. Uh, ticker is BG, and I bought some wheat, the ETF, yep. as w- well. W-E-A-T, the wheat. Yeah, so I, those are the two that I currently have. I know there's also Bear we talked yeah, about. Bear, Bear, I've got some of that one. And then also, Ar- uh, I think it's Ar- Arthur Arthur Daniels Midlands. It's like one of the world's top corn pr- production yeah. companies. I've, I've got some of their shares as well. That one's been performing well. And then, as you mentioned before, earlier in the show, like Occidental and Comstock Resources for gas. Like, yeah. you know, energy in times of crisis, I feel like, has the tendency to, to fly. Mm. Again, because it's just... You know, people are selling growth, growth tech and all that. And what are they buying? They're buying commodities, yeah. oil, energy, gas, food, that kind of stuff. Exactly. So keep those names in mind as well. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. Did you have anything else to cover on there? I or? mean, honestly, you know, we, we don't want this conflict to happen, but we make these episodes for a reason. And as we said, we, we, we kind of nailed it with the previous one. So put these names on your watch list. If the unfortunate situation occurs where China invades Taiwan, some of these companies could be a good hedge for your portfolio so you don't get absolutely wrecked. Absolutely. We don't want anybody to get wrecked. And make sure you guys tune into the next episode. Hey, that one's going to be a fucking banger. views expressed by speakers on the bean pod are solely their opinions you should not treat any opinion expressed on the bean pod as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a specific strategy but only as an expression of their opinion this podcast is for informational purposes only